Today's Old Testament scripture reading can be found in Isaiah chapter 56, verses 1 through 8. This is what the Lord says, Maintain justice and do what is right, for my salvation is close at hand, and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, the man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let not any unit complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me, and who hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord and serve Him, to love the name of the Lord and to worship Him, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain, and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The Sovereign Lord declares, He who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. Today's New Testament meeting is taken from Acts 10, 1, 20 through 1, 20, 1 through 23. And I'm going to be reading from the New International Version with Milton. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have seen, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. 
Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and get downstairs. Do not hesitate to go down with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is righteous and a God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. This is the word of the Lord. Our message, as I started last week to say, comes out of two things. One, both seasonal. One, the recognition that in the church calendar, which we have uh, been exploring a relationship to in the last year, year and a half, tomorrow would be Trinity Sunday. Now, there's nothing sacred about the Sunday part of that. It's just that the Christian world at at large is uh, at church on that day. But this would be the season that we celebrate Trinity. And this isn't just uh, an arbitrary piece. Last week, it's built on last week and the week before. Last week was Pentecost which was the arrival of the Spirit or the Comforter in tangible and powerful ways. Recall that they were gathered in the upper room and tongues of flame came upon them. And as people had come to Jerusalem for the Pentecost, each heard the message of Jesus in his own language or her own tongue. An amazing outpouring that grew the church in Jerusalem by thousands each day. The way, as it was known then, a sect within Judaism, grew by leaps and bounds. And as this group of Jews that had gathered in Jerusalem went back to the countries from which they had come, where they had been scattered by the Assyrians and by the Babylonians and so forth, the news of who Jesus was spread to the world. Before Pentecost, we celebrated the ascension of Jesus. You know, none of these things are worth much on their own if we break them down. You see, a God who comes to be with us and simply dies and no longer is God has given up something in vain. A God who comes and doesn't die on our behalf has not accomplished a salvation A God who comes and dies and is resurrected gives us something to hope for. But it isn't until a resurrected God returns to his place at the right hand of the Father that we have advocacy, that we have 
acceptance that we have full circle completion of a message and a mission. And so all of these things tie together from Advent season starting right after Thanksgiving, right into the present time. For those of you who aren't usually with us, we've been exploring ways in which we can make more vivid, more tactile, because I know that I'm not much to look at through the course of time. We need maybe a few other reminders of of what God is doing here. So we've been exploring what a touch of color might mean. Our color on the pulpit today is red, and by some accounts, this would be technically wrong. By some accounts, that red color should only be on Pentecost. We would have the fire of the Spirit at Pentecost along with orange, perhaps, and yellow in some cases, to illustrate those tongues of flame that came down and rested upon those in the upper room. But this red reminds us of that, and I left it up today, too, because it pulls us another direction. In our own flag, red is the symbol of what? Bloodshed. That brings us to a sacrifice. That brings us to Memorial Day. That brings us to the cost that has been paid, the price that has been paid for our freedom, spiritually, and our freedom, literally, in this land. So this is some of what you have to look at today, visually. Am I off microphone? Can you hear me anyway? Yes. Okay, we'll continue. Starting with the idea of Trinity, I want to make a statement first, and that is that I don't pretend to understand the social unity of God. Anything we can say about it in human terms is analogous or allegorical or approximation or... Symbolic. There's no way language as we have it, even theological language, can bring us to a clear understanding in human terms of that which supersedes and transcends our capacity to understand. Language is only approximation. So when we talk about father and son, We are not talking about, when we talk even in terms of begotten, as John does, we are not talking about derived. We're not talking about sired. I don't know that the Holy Spirit is the cosmic female from which Jesus was conceived. These are approximations. These are anthropomorphisms, is the big term we use. We have to understand what we are created in the image of in the limited context of who we are bodily, finite, limited beings, created for fellowship with the divine, but totally incapable of apprehending it at its fullest. Am I clear? In other words, what I want to say is we don't know far more than we know about the living, all-powerful God. That's worth celebrating, by the way. Because if we know all there is to know about the living, all-powerful God, ooh, 
we've just come really close to approximating that presence, haven't we? And we don't come close. The mystery of who God is ought to be something that gives our spirituality life. The mystery of how God presents himself or herself. I need to uh, continue to speak loudly, I think. Shall I say freedom? Freedom. (laughs) So when it comes to Trinity, we can teach from Scripture the presence of Spirit in Genesis. We can preach from Scripture how God created. We We can preach from John how everything that was made was made through Jesus. We can reach for this social understanding of of who God is and who he presents himself, she presents himself to be. We can understand metaphorically there are feminine attributes and descriptions of God as well as masculine. All of these are in our image and in our language. We have nothing better, nothing greater, nothing more to give than this. So it is not blasphemous to the God who made us that we can only approximate what might be in reality in the words that we choose. It is, I think, something that touches him very deeply. That we should strive, that we should give our energies and our devotions to some kind of understanding of this mystery. It's our gift to him. So this week we celebrate the social reality and the way in which God is is inclusive as a plurality, a singular plurality. Wait a minute, that's an oxymoron, I know. Welcome to Mystery. So now we shift from that notion to this God who remembers and memorializes. You see, the one who created sets up a cycle and a Sabbath whereby we might remember. It becomes a memorial to us of that creation. And when we move to Deuteronomy, it becomes a memorial to us of his deliverance and salvation. Which brings us to the Christ who in the upper room says, do this in remembrance of me. And in social reality, we gather for communion and drink of the cup and eat of the bread. And we remember till he comes. Enactment. Symbol. Memorial. Remembrance. Last week, one of our texts in John 15, 25 to 27. 
Jesus promises that the Comforter that will be sent will remind us of everything that he has spoken. Well, not us, the disciples, who would report it for us. We have a God who remembers, who memorializes, and who urges us to set up memorial that we might ourselves remember. These little markers, or major markers, give us a sense of connectedness and time. They give us a sense of community, corporation, and purpose. And so we come to the Memorial Day season. We look at a flag. We might go to the grave marker or memorial of one of our family members. But we pause and give thanks and remember. And we do this for a very special reason that I think spiritually we lose track of because after all, the day is really about barbecue and beer for most people, is it not? <laughs> Lawn chairs and sunburns. But in truth, the memorial, the day set up to remember those who have fallen, is that they will not be cut off forever from our people. This is, this is so important. We don't think this way. We as Americans are the great and rugged individualists. Are we not? And yet salvation is a corporate thing. Salvation is a collective peace. And scriptures that we're looking at today help us to try to collect some of the pieces that have been cut off. Some we have cut off. Or those before us have. Circumcision, Sabbath, marks of being God's special person. Marks of being Jewish. Marks of belonging in a particular way to a particular group of specialists. And in making that definition, others were drawn outside of that circle. And it wasn't God's intention, if we read Scripture carefully, it wasn't His intention to save a few at the expense of the many. It was His intention that a few who listened and responded and were given the privilege of law might be a light in the world and might draw others into the circle. And even as Christ has died and ascended and Pentecost has come, the circle is still there. A Italian uncircumcised 
military man of high rank in the wrong army. Knocks on the door of Peter. And God has to prepare him. Do not call Peter anything I have declared clean, unclean. Three times in his vision, he had to hear it. And when confronted with a person of God outside of the circle, had to make a decision. Would he invite him in? And Cornelius' men were invited into Peter's house. These were Gentiles, unclean by Jewish standards, entering the house of a Jew, a clean person. The circle was being widened. And Peter went with the men and entered Cornelius' house and gave him the word and he received it, though uncircumcised, though unclean and though a Gentile. What I have declared clean, God says, do not declare unclean. Because this passage speaks of drawing in. This is what the Lord says, maintain justice and do what is right. For my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, the man who holds fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let not any eunuch complain 
I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve Him, to love the name of the Lord and to worship Him, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The sovereign Lord declares, He who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them beside those already gathered. Who are these cut off? Well, first, the admonishment to maintain justice and do it as right. And if a war is indeed just, many who have died, given the ultimate sacrifice, have done so for such a cause. Those who keep the Sabbath. What is the Sabbath again? A memorial. Those who remember that I am the creator, that I am the redeemer, that I am the holy one of Israel and all. To these, there's a blessing. To the foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord, he will worship and his altar, his sacrifices will be accepted. And of course, if you ask anybody in scriptural terms what the meaning of life is, it's progeny. To be a eunuch may have been a calling in the court of a king or it may have been a product of some sort of natural disaster or deformity. But to those without offspring, basically, those without the perpetuity of generation, they would not be cut off either. The Hebrew word here is, I will create for them within my temple, within my walls, a memorial and a name which will last forever. The Hebrew word there is Yad Vashem. And if you go to Jerusalem, and I hope you all will someday, if you go to Jerusalem, the memorial to the Holocaust, the six or so million Jews who perished World War II, in genocide, the memorial to them is named Yad Vashem. These who were killed unjustly, these who were murdered as children, these who were taken from their homes in terror by night and made to work till they died, these who met their deaths in firing squads and gas chambers are not accursed. They are not cut off from the people of God. A memorial to them within the house of the Lord has been made forever. Two kinds of
people. Those we've drawn the circle and put outside of. And those who have been cut off from us without realizing the fullness of life. Soldiers killed in combat or in duty. God says, Way to write them in. There will be a place, a memorial, and a name for perpetuity within my house. Something special about that. And we can live that, each of us. We can live that spiritually and in our lives. We can be living memorials. We can be living sacrifices. We can not only be temples of a living God, but we can be those who embody remembrance. Who include those cut off from God's people. Who draw the circle as large as He does. And who remember those who've sacrificed. That in their remembrance... Memory goes on, and in memory, life, a name, and a place, and an inheritance with God's people. Amen.